Well, good morning, and welcome again to Moody Church. So good to see you this morning as we celebrate Advent and look forward again to the coming of Jesus' birth as we celebrate during this season. It was about four or five years ago on New Year's Eve that my wife and I were headed out after work in the evening to spend New Year's Eve with some family. And we were driving out the Eden's Expressway out in the near north suburbs when suddenly, as we were driving along in our car, we heard a loud sound and the car started bouncing to the right and we quickly pulled over and were able to safely get onto the shoulder. I get out of the car and I look at my rear right tire. It wasn't just flat, but the entire sidewall of the tire had been blown apart. Literally, the tire was gone. It had blown off. So, did I mention it was one of those beautiful December nights where it didn't matter to get up to double digits during the day, let alone what it was at about 7 p.m.? I get all the equipment out, get the jack underneath the car, go to get the wrench to get the lug nuts off, and I tried and I tried and I tried, and I could not get those lug nuts to move. Now, there's either one of two things, right? Either one, the wrench is too small, or I'm not strong enough. I think the wrench was too small. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure that was the issue. As we're sitting there on the side of the expressway trying to get the, the tire off and we cannot get it off. After what seemed like forever trying, we get in the car and I start trying to find just a tow truck, someone who's open at 7.30, p.m. on New Year's Eve who could come just bring a tool to help me put on my spare tire. No one's open. I got so desperate I called the local police office in the town that we were at and they said, I'm sorry, we don't have anyone to send your way. And we're sitting there on the side of the highway there's, we're facing this obstacle that we couldn't fix ourselves, wondering what we would do. When behind us pulls up a truck with flashing lights, and a man walks out and says, do you need help? And I said, yes, I need help in a big way. And he came out and he had a wrench that was much bigger than mine. It was a very big wrench. And was able to get the lug nuts off, jacked up the car, helped me get the spare tire on, and then we were able to go on our way. Something that I wasn't able to fix myself, I needed someone else help with, and he came and he provided that assistance. This Advent season, we've been looking at reasons why Jesus came. Our sermon series is Why He Came. And two weeks ago, Pastor Ed talked about how Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Last week, Pastor Bill talked about how Jesus came to defeat the works of the devil. And today we're going to look at a single verse in Matthew chapter 5 that gives us another reason why Jesus came, that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Jesus came to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves. No matter how hard we tried, no matter what our efforts were, we wouldn't be able to do it ourselves. And Jesus came when we needed him the most, and he came and he helped us. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 says this. Jesus is saying this in what is called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. The law and the prophets is another summary way of Jesus saying the Old Testament scriptures. 
Everything that we would have before the New Testament, he's not just thinking of one or two books, but all of the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, don't come to think that I have come to abolish it, to set it aside, to mean that it's insignificant, but I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And this morning, we're going to look at three implications of the fact that Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. The first implication of this is that it demonstrates our need for Scripture. It demonstrates our need for Scripture. That Jesus came not to abolish God's Word, not to set aside all that had come before, but He didn't come to abolish those things, but He actually came and fulfilled that message that all of the Old Testament, all of Scripture in Jesus' time was pointing to. And because Jesus did not come to abolish but to fulfill, it actually highlights the importance of Scripture and the role that it should take place in our lives if we are a follower of Jesus Christ. He says this again in Matthew 5. It says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law of prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. And then he says this, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Nothing will pass away until all is accomplished. Jesus coming to fulfill the law is a reminder that the whole of Scripture points to Him. That the whole of Scripture is pointing to what we celebrate in this season, that Jesus has come, and we think of His life and death and resurrection, that all of Scripture is leading to that place. And so this elevates the importance that Scripture should have in our lives. Jesus himself demonstrates how the Old Testament Scriptures were pointing to him. There's a story that Luke records in the Gospel of Luke as he's traveling along with two disciples. And he explains his coming and his life. And he simply says this, the verse says, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus, that's he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Oh, to be walking with Jesus on that road and hear how he saw how all of scripture was pointing to his comings. See, it's popular and rightfully so at this time of year as we reflect on the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ that we highlight and we read prophecies that foretold of his coming. And those are good and we should read and we should learn of those things. We read in the Old Testament prophets how the Messiah to come would be born to a virgin and how Jesus fulfilled that in his birth. Even where he would be born, that would be in the town of Bethlehem, is foretold in the Old Testament scriptures. But sometimes we can think that it's just specific prophecies in the Old Testament that have to do with Jesus. It's actually all of the Old Testament, all of scripture is pointing to and guiding us into the fact that the Messiah will come. The specific prophecies, yes, those included, but the whole story of the Old Testament isn't just a random collection of stories. It's pointing to the fact that we need Jesus to come into this world. 
There's this very strange story if you are just reading through your Old Testament in the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 21, it's just where the people of Israel are headed towards the promised land. Moses has led them out of Egypt. And they get frustrated along the way. It's just five verses long. And it says they start complaining towards Moses and God. We want to go back to Egypt. And it says that God was so upset, he sent venomous snakes to go down amongst the people. And they were bitten with the snakes. And so they cried out to Moses, Moses, save us from this. Save us so we don't die. And God reveals to Moses, if you create a bronze statue of a snake and hold it up, whoever looks at that snake won't die and will live. And if you're reading through your Old Testament, you come to that story and you go, well, that's kind of weird. I'm glad those people didn't die and they had snakes and we might not think anything of it. But Jesus looks back in explaining the reason for his coming to one of his followers in the book of John and says, just as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so he would be lifted up. Things that we may see as just independent stories or standalone things in scripture are actually pointing to Jesus and the reason he came. Characters that are in the Bible, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they're telling a greater story looking forward to the Messiah. The temple, the sacrificial system, the prophets, the priests, the kings, they look forward to the Messiah who was to come. And so we should realize this need that we have for Scripture and we should read it in light of the fact that Jesus has come. Have you ever watched a movie before where there's been a big twist at the end of the film, so much so that you wanted to go back and re-watch it because you were seeing it through a different lens now that you knew the ending? There was a movie several years ago that came out that was the story of a federal marshal who was sent to look for a missing person from a high-security psychiatric facility. And it's a very tense movie as this marshal is looking throughout and interviewing and scoping to try and find this missing person. Till right at the very end of the film, it's revealed that the whole thing was one big psychological experiment and this person who thought he was a federal marshal is actually someone who's in the facility himself. That they're trying to bring back into reality. And he's not at all who you thought he was the whole movie. And as soon as that happened, I went back and I watched the movie again. And you start to see where you just thought were little things. You started to put the picture together because it was all leading somewhere. We should read this book. We should read it not just on its own to stand apart, but we should look and see how it's all pointing to Jesus. It's all pointing to his coming. The Old Testament looks forward to Jesus. The Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, look at the life that Jesus lived. The New Testament looks back at what Jesus did and the implications that it has for us in our lives today. As one theologian put it, the meaning of all of Scripture is unlocked by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill the law and prophets. That means for us, if we are children of God, that we should be students of Scripture. 
If we are children of God, we should be students of Scripture because it points us to a greater knowledge of God, a greater love of the Messiah, a greater appreciation for what he has done for us. The more we read of all of Scripture, the more we see the greatness of Jesus in it. That goes against how oftentimes we come with our own thoughts and attitudes towards Scripture. Jesus coming and saying that he came to fulfill the law and prophets is a subliminal way of saying to us today, the Bible is not about us. The Bible is not about you and what you can do. And the Bible is not about how you can improve your life and in your problems. The Bible is about Jesus. The Bible is about God, God revealing himself to us and the plan that only God could have for us that reveal himself and the life that he has for us. And so Jesus fulfilling the law and prophets points to our need for scripture throughout even to this day. The second implication that this idea of of Jesus fulfilling the law has for our lives is it displays our need for a savior. The first implication is it shows how we need scripture. The second implication of Jesus fulfilling the law is it displays our need for a savior. See, the law that was given was something that you and I in our own efforts could never perfectly keep. We couldn't perfectly keep the law. We couldn't be made right with God through our own human efforts. And so the law shows us, and Jesus fulfilling the law shows us, that we aren't saved through our own efforts, but only through the work of Jesus Christ. Paul writes this in the book of Galatians chapter 2. He says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified, that's being to be made right with God by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. And in case you missed it, he concludes, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. No one will be justified through their own human efforts, their own trials, no matter how much they may try. You cannot work your way to God. You cannot do good enough. You cannot fulfill the law yourself. It shows that we need someone to fulfill it for us. And that's that Jesus came and did it for us. He fulfilled the law. And what is new, what Jesus has brought is so much better than what was before. I remember back when I think I was early in high school and I was going on a a trip down several hours away by bus that I was so excited because my parents bought me one of these for the trip. Does anyone remember one of these? The good old Sony Walkman. I'm a little too young for those of you who had the cassette versions. My parents had one though, so I'd seen them around. I never owned one myself. These awesome personal CD players. And for the young people will never understand the the challenges of just wanting to listen to music while you were sitting in a car. You couldn't have it sitting on its side or it would start to skip. You had to have it balanced perfectly. And it was this amazing thing that I was so excited to have when I was in high school. But I bet if we were to look through your pockets and your purses today, 
We wouldn't find one of these, would we? Probably not. Someone in the back probably has one still. Someone needs to help that person out. Christmas is a week and a half away. Please buy them an iPhone or something, all right? Why don't we have these anymore? Because they were replaced by something far better, right? We don't long for the days where we had to carry around CDs and a Walkman because it's been replaced by something far superior. It's not that it was bad, but it just something better has come. It's this idea that it's not that what before was bad, but something better has come. And how the New Testament thinks about Jesus coming into the world. In the book of Hebrews, the author is reflecting back on the life of Jesus Christ. The life that he lived. And he's talking about how the sacrifices, the temple, the high priests were all shadows of what was to come. They were all pointing forward to Jesus Christ himself. And then he says this in Hebrews chapter 8. And speaking of a new covenant that Jesus brought, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. That the New Testament says that the old way is now obsolete, not that it was bad, but in Jesus something far superior, something greater has come. That the way Jesus has brought us salvation makes the old way, the the old things obsolete. Because Paul says this in Romans chapter 10. It says, for Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. By the end of the law, he means that it's the goal. It's the culmination. It's what the law was looking forward to all along. It was pointing to Jesus and his work on the cross. See, all of Scripture points out the need that we have to to be righteous before God. That because sin has come into our lives, we need to be righteous before God. And and when we look at the law, we could try through our own efforts, but it would be impossible for us to follow it ourselves. The law cannot save you. Only Jesus can. And so when Jesus came and fulfilled the law, he fulfilled the whole law. And by fulfilling the whole law, he makes it possible for us to be righteous, to have a relationship with God. Jesus fulfilled all of it. He was the end goal of what the law pointed to all along. He didn't just fill part of it, a third, two-thirds, half. Jesus fulfilled the entire law. What that means for us today living on this side of history, looking back at Jesus, is that any attempt that we would make at salvation apart from Jesus is futile. Any attempt that we could make for salvation to make ourselves righteous before God apart from Jesus won't work. See, if we were to just read the law in isolation, we might think, well, if I work hard enough, if I do enough right things, that it's our works that matter. And perhaps you're here today because you might think that it's because of some own human efforts, because of your works that could achieve you a status, a relationship with God. That if you give enough, if you attend church enough, if you say enough, if you do enough right things, that this has some merits before God. But it doesn't. We can't by our own righteousness perfectly fulfill the law. Only Jesus has done it for us. 
See, the law was never sent to make us good, but to point us to God. The law wasn't given so that we would be made moral, but to point us for our need for the Messiah. Jesus did in fulfilling the law what we could never do. He lived a perfectly obedient life to God. And it's his fulfillment of the law is something that we could never do ourselves. And so when we think back, when we read the Old Testament, all the commands and regulations, it reminds us again of our, of our thanksgiving that should overflow in our hearts because of what God has done for us in fulfilling the law. And if you're here today and you're still trying yourself to think that if you could work hard and if you could do something, the offer today is open to you, that instead of seeking righteousness, seeking your own efforts to get to God, today you can place your faith in Jesus. Today you can stop your own efforts and instead depend on Jesus' efforts for us. The fact that he came to fulfill the law, to do what we could never do for ourselves. So Jesus fulfilling the law, it demonstrates our need for scripture. It displays our need for a savior. And thirdly, it declares our need for the Spirit. It declares our need, if you're a follower of Jesus, our need each and every day to live by and to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. See, a natural question that would come when we think of Jesus, that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, would be, well, if Jesus came and fulfilled the law, how then are we, as followers of Jesus, supposed to live? How should we live in this world if Jesus came and fulfilled the law? Well, the New Testament is clear, especially in chapters like Romans 8 and Galatians 5, that the life of the follower of Jesus is to be lived by one relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. That we live lives based on and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. We have God's Holy Spirit indwelling each and every one of us who have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. And I'd say, okay, so we're to live lives relying and depending on the power of the Holy Spirit. But isn't there a little bit more? What else can we think of? What should we be aiming our lives towards if we are to represent God well in this world? Because see, the, the law in the Old Testament was the ethical standard of living for the people in that time. It was the ethical standard that they looked to and said, this is what it looks like to live a life pleasing to God. Most scholars agree that if you add up the laws in the Old Testament, you would get approximately 613 laws that you would need to fulfill. 613 different laws given throughout the Old Testament. And then what would happen is because there would be a law that people wouldn't want it, would want to make sure not to break the law, so they would set up other rules so that those laws weren't broken. And so besides the 613, the religious system set up hundreds and likely thousands of other rules and regulations so that the other laws wouldn't be broken. It's those rules that people set up that you see such a conflict with in Jesus' life and ministry. As Jesus does things and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, are so upset that Jesus is doing them, it's because he's breaking their own rules that they have on what the rules mean so that you don't eventually break the law. 
but it became by the time Jesus had come such an overwhelmingly complex system that for many, if you weren't well-versed in it, it would be just so confusing, you wouldn't at times even know where to go. Have you ever done something or been a part of something that was just so confusing, so complex, you didn't even know where to start? Let me ask this question. Have you ever tried to file your own taxes before? Like, where, where do you even begin? I was reading this week that if you take the U.S. tax code and then you add in all the laws and, and the things, the court rulings on the tax code, that they're not quite sure how long it is, but it's a little bit over 70,000 pages long. And you wonder why it's so confusing every April when you have to file your taxes. That's why companies exist that make hundreds of millions of dollars off of the complexity because it's something that we can hardly understand ourselves. And what happens sometimes is that we make following Jesus overly complex. We can make following Jesus overly complex. But when we do that, it's actually a dangerous thing to do in our world. Jesus lived in a time uh, that it seemed like it was so complex on what God expected, what God required. And so it's quite shocking that for Jesus, he could take a complex system and actually make it very simple. A religious ruler came to Jesus in the book of Matthew, chapter 22, and he asked him this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your minds. This is the great and first commandment. Next verse, it says this, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus today? If Jesus came to fulfill the law, what should our lives be focused on? Should it be on trying to follow these 613 regulations? No, Jesus takes them all and summarizes them in two things. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. If you do these two things, it fulfills the whole thing. That's what it was all pointing to. The heart behind all of these rules and regulations is that we would love God and love people. Romans says it this way. It says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. In the book of Galatians, Paul writes this. It says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what does it look like? What are the ethical demands? If Jesus has fulfilled the law, what does it look like to follow him in this world? It looks like relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us on what it looks like in every situation to love God and to love others. Relying on the Spirit in every situation to remind ourselves what does it look like to love God and to love others others. See, if you've been around Christianity for any amount of time, we love to make it a lot more complex than that at times, don't we? 
And there's a danger if we follow Jesus at lining up and making all these things so complex. It can lead to great confusion and danger on our side. One danger if we focus so much on making it a complex system of what God wants from us is our hearts can easily lead into what is known as legalism. Where we just care about rules and following and doing certain things that we lose the heart behind why these things were given to begin with. But when we focus on loving God and loving others, we don't lose the heart because that's the heart behind it all. And so if we make Christianity this complex system that we have to follow, we can tend towards legalism on one side. But we can also slip towards the other side in that we can say, well, the Bible is so confusing. It says so much different stuff. I have no idea what it actually means to my life today. So I'm just going to do what I want. And we can actually take it and make it an excuse for our own disobedience because we can say it's so hard to understand. We don't really know what it's trying to say to me in my life today in this situation. So I'm just going to do whatever I think is best. I'm going to do whatever I want. But when Jesus narrowed it down, he taught us this, that following God is simple but not easy. Following God is simple. It's not complex. But just because he made it simple, love God, love others, that doesn't mean it's easy. And because following Jesus is not easy, that's why he sent us his spirit to guide us as followers of Jesus into what it looks like in every situation to love God and to love others. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's not easy sometimes to love others with our time because the time they want seems often like it's the most inconvenient for us. And when those requests come, when the family member calls, when the friend knocks on the door, we have to remind ourselves, what does it look like right now to love them? What does it look like? It's not easy to love God with our resources, with our finances. Because we've placed so much effort and our own hard work in accumulating them, it's easy to love our resources rather than to use our resources to think of how we love God and love others with what God has blessed us with. It's not easy sometimes to love the family that's coming over to your house next week. It's not always easy, is it? But it's simple if you're a follower of Jesus. What does it look like in this situation to love God and to love them? Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And so we live on his side of eternity, this side. And so his call for us is to love, to love God, to love others. And he's given us his Holy Spirit to empower us to this end. So why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to do what we could not do. To fulfill the law that we could not perfectly keep. To die a death that we deserved. To give us grace, hope, and life that none of us deserve. That's why Jesus came. God, we do thank you for Jesus, and that we celebrate his coming into this world and how that so radically changes all of history and it changes our lives.
God, I pray for anyone who's here this morning who is attempting to achieve spiritual life, relationship with you through any of their own efforts. God, today, even right now in this moment, would you give them the ability to surrender themselves to you, to call out and see what they've been trying to do they could never do, but you have perfectly done for us. God, and you've called us to love, to love you, to love others. God, that's not easy to do in our world. So would you teach us, would you empower us to walk in love, that as we are in this place and then as we go forth and scatter throughout this city and beyond, that the love of Christ would go with us and that people would see you through the love that's displayed in our hearts and in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.